Did you have a happy new year? But you don't know about the rest of the year yet, do you? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning and get ready for it. The best place to get ready is, of course, God's Word. And in God's Word, I think the best place to go for this kind of readiness for the year ahead of us is Romans chapter 8. The best place to start getting ready is at verse 28 of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 28. And there's just no good place to stop after you start on 28. So I'm going to go all the way down to the end at verse 39. And if you're able, it would be great if we could stand together in honor of God's word as I begin the reading and you focus on what he has to say to us this morning. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those Whom God has chosen. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that. Who was raised to life. Is at the right hand of the Father. And is also making intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, nakedness, danger, the sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him Who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen. Please be seated. Romans 8.28 is an anchor for our soul. If you begin your Christian experience with the promise of John 3.16, you need to continue that experience with the truth of Romans 8.28. It is an essential 
essential truth from God's Word to be understood, to be received, to be held within our hearts, to walk with day by day. You can't wait for a difficulty to come in this coming year and then get in on the promise. Sometimes it's just too hard. Sometimes the grief is too deep. Sometimes the pain is too bad, and you can't even focus. So what has to happen on a day like this, in a place like this, when God has brought us together, is to get ourselves concentrated on a verse we're going to carry in our heart and in our mind through the whole year. So come what may, it's going to be there. And the truth that stands behind it will be there. It's an anchor. I have a special interest in anchors. I have a couple of boats I have to anchor in a lake over in northwest Arkansas. And I grew up with boats on the Atlantic Ocean in northeast Florida. That's real Florida. It's not where Wade goes. (laughs) We call that South Georgia. Real Florida is where you can see the water. That's where I grew up. And as I grew up, my dad found an old rowboat for my brother and me when we were really small. I mean, 10, 11, 12. We always had this old rowboat, and it stayed with us our, our whole life at home until I moved away to college. There was always that rowboat sitting next to the house. And uh, it, it was a sorry boat, and it stayed sorry the whole time. Well, one of us would row. I had a brother, three years younger. One of us would row, and the other one had to bail. And we'd take that out into the bay there in St. Augustine, right there at the, where it opened up to the Atlantic Ocean, and we would fish. And uh, for an anchor, these were strange days to grow up, wasn't it? Where we never even had life jackets or bicycle helmets. And my mom never said when we left the house, be careful. <laughs> you know, we just went out and did. No life jacket. And our anchor was a cinder block on the end of about a 35-foot rope. So when you got in 40 feet of water, it was useless. But even when we look for a place up above a sandbar somewhere we can anchor in, when it, it was fine as long as the tide was going out, and you, you pretty well stayed in the same locale. But when the tide came in, and without you even realizing it, slowly, very, very slowly, 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 the boat would rise, the anchor would lift off the bottom, and we were on our way to Ireland. <laughs> you need an anchor, a real anchor. I mean, something that'll hold you. And what will hold you in 2016 and to the day you draw your last breath is Romans 8:28. It is the anchor of the providence of God. Providence of God. That's a great Latin word, pro video. Can you see it? Pro video. To see before. God sees before all that's going to happen to you this year. Nothing catches him by surprise. He's not going to rise up from his throne and say, wow, I didn't see that coming. He sees it. And he prepares us unknowingly. He prepares us and provides for us. This promise rests in the love of God. The very cross where he shed his blood and demonstrated that love, it is nailed in there. This promise is fortified by the sovereignty of God. He will not be overruled. He's the one who overrules kings and presidents and supreme courts. 
He rules and He reigns for all eternity. And He draws us into this promise of His sovereign grace. It's the power of God. It's the presence of God that we anchor into in Romans 8.28. And I, I want with all my heart for all of us in this room, young and old, hurting and happy, whatever our circumstance, to take hold of this promise today in such a way that it, it becomes the way we see things. I, I have a sentence I'd like to give you. I don't, I don't have those uh, sermon outline notes for you to take like Wade does with all. So I'm just going to make you write one little thing, all right? One little sentence. And So find a blank page in the front of your Bible. It's a good place to put it. Or if you're out of blank pages, go to the maps and write it on a map. Or the palm of your hand. Until you get this, this kind of nailed down along with Romans 8.28. Here, here it is, very simple. God will get me through this. Jot that down. God will get me through this. If you're not writing it down, you have to say it in your own mind seven times. God will get me through this. And he's going to use it. God will get me through this, and he's going to use it. And here's the end. To make me more like Jesus. God will get me through this. And he's going to use it to make me more like Jesus. Because there, for many of us in this room, will be a day in 2016, maybe in June, maybe in August, maybe November. But there will be a day when there's some pain. And you'll go to the place where you get some help, and you'll open up your Bible, and it will say there, God will get me through this, and he's going to use it to make me more like Jesus. And underneath there, you're writing Romans 8, 28, because the next thing you'll do after you remember that he's going to get you through it is to see how he does it. Romans 8, 28. How? How? We know with certainty that God's going to get us through it. We know with certainty. We know. You see how it begins? We know. We know that in all things God is working for good. We know it. Paul, how do you know it? Paul would say, well, I, I can tell you by my missionary journeys that have gotten me to this point in life. I can look back at those journeys and I can see times where I was attacked, when I was brutalized, when I was left for dead, and, and yet God was in it, and he raised me up, and even here in prison, I, I'm in prison, but right here in prison, I'm, I'm telling the guards how they can come to know Jesus. I, I've seen it, I know it in my own heart. I, I'm not writing it like I'm some academic in an ivory tower, some philosopher who's writing down a piece of philosophy. No, this is the way God works. This is what he does. I know it. You know what I know? 
I know there's not a person in this room who's walked with Jesus for 40 years or 50 years or 60 years wouldn't stand up today with me and say, we know it. We're in this room today because God's word is true and he kept working on our darkest days and he got us here. And we went through grief and we went through pain and we went through sorrow and we went through confusion. We went through difficulty. Some of you went through war. And yet he got you back here to his house this Sunday morning. Hallelujah, what a Savior. He's been good to us. We know it. And I pray every young person in this room, you'll live long enough to really get hold of the fact God's not going to let go of you and you don't let go of his promise. And one day when you're old and ugly like I am, You'll be able to tell your grandkids, I know that in all things, God is working for good. I know it. It's not a feeling. It's not just a feeling that comes and goes. It's not just a hope so, maybe so, think so. It's a no so. I know it. That's the confidence of this promise to us this morning. That's where we we begin. I know what, I know that in all things, God's working. In all things. The thing that's happening here in this room right now, opening up the book, looking in the Word of God, that good thing that's happening, when you begin to really believe it in a new and fresh way, take hold of it. That's a good thing. It's a good thing when we stand together and we praise God in this room and you're built up in your faith. That's a good thing. Good things happen here every Sunday and through the week. Good things are happening. The Bible is preached. People are strengthened. People are converted. People are uh, called out to service. People go from here to the ends of the earth, from this very church. It's amazing what God is doing with folks like you. And all things, those are good things. But you know what? There's some hard things. There are some difficult things. There's some things that make you double up and cry. There's some things that hurt so bad you can't talk about them. There's some things in your own life that you don't share with folks that are even close to you because it's too painful. What about those things? What's it, what does the promise say? We know that in all things... All things, those things that are hurting and crippling and grieving and painful, God's working in those things. And he's taking those things together with those good things and all things, and he is working. And he's putting together in such a way that we could never do to make us more like his son. You know, I wish it was all good things that made me like Jesus, but what I've noticed is it's the painful things, it's the hard moments, it's the difficulties, it's when I fall on him and have nowhere else to go. That's when Jesus seems to do a special work in my life. How about you? Have you noticed the same way? That life really is a laboratory. Life is really a a place where we discover in that lab of life that it's when we're pressed to him, 
when we're squeezed, that's when he comes through and we discover something new about Jesus we never knew. And we walk out of that lab looking more like him than we ever did before. It's all things. Working. God working them together. It's a great word. It's not often translated exactly as it lies. It's one word in Greek. You know, and it's been so misplaced in like the King James. All things work together for good. It's not, it's not that all things are working together. God is working together. Working together these things. It's one word. Sin erge. Sin erge. That's the word that we use, we get out of uh, Greek, synergy. That's when you take uh, one element and you combine it with another element or process and you put the two processes together and you get a greater than the two things that stood alone, right? Synergy. And that's, that's in the hands of God, our lives in the hands of God. He's taking the good things and he's taking the bad things and he's working them together in a powerful working way. God's working. I can't work it. I can't figure it out. I can't do it. God works it. God's at work. He can't be stopped. It's in His power. It's in His irresistible power and energy that He accomplishes His will in our lives, in the life of this church, and all His people around the world. God is working. You know, sometimes out of the blue, Completely when you do not expect anything but another typical day in your life. That something happens and changes everything. For Marcia and me, it was a day when we got a phone call. I was pastor of church there in Fort Smith in Arkansas. And got a phone call from the International Mission Board. And the secretary on the other end of the line said, "Uh, Dr. Ford, now don't be disturbed and don't be worried. That immediately makes me disturbed and worried. But we haven't heard from your son, and we were supposed to have had a message, and so the indications are that he is on the run from authorities in North Vietnam. You know what would be better if Jason told the rest of the story? So I won't mess it up. This is what really happened. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to serve uh, in Southeast Asia in the the country of Vietnam. And that's a country that today has still uh, religious, uh, does not have full religious freedom. There are still restrictions. And at the time when I was serving there, there were even more so. But I was there serving with uh, two other missionaries. One of them was uh, Micah Webb, who was at our GIC this past September, and another friend. And we were in Hanoi, and we rented motorbikes. And we had three motorcycles, and on the back of those motorcycles, we strapped our backpacks full of about 50 pounds of Bibles and gospel materials and the Jesus film, all that had been translated into the local language. And we rode up the Red River Valley out of Hanoi towards an area that missionaries there were targeting with the gospel and with church planting. And so we got to that area, these uh, group of villages that we were going to target with uh, this material, and then others were going to come in and do some follow-up, and we decided to split up. And we'd meet back in that spot in about 45 minutes. So we started our motorbikes, and we split up and did our distribution of the materials that we had, and we came back to our meeting spot, and I was the first one there. And then Micah showed up, and Lou never showed up. 
our friend Lou didn't show up and we didn't know what to do. We didn't know what had happened to her. Um, just really didn't know what had happened, but thought maybe that she had been caught uh, by the local authorities there. And so we went back to Hanoi and the next day we took our motorbikes there to return them and we saw that her motorcycle was there unscratched and fine. And so we knew that she hadn't been in an accident and the owner of the shop said, you stay here, I need to make a phone call. And so we left as quick <laughs> as we could. And uh, we checked our computers and sure enough, we uh, had, excuse me, had a message there that Lou had been caught and that they were looking for two young American men and that they were gonna make an example of them when they caught them. And we were there in Hanoi, didn't know what to do, where to go. And uh, we got word uh, through the uh, internet, through email, that we needed to travel back down to Saigon and to, uh, through the Delta area to the Cambodian border and to a crossing there. Didn't have the language, didn't know what we were going to do, but God provided at every step of the way. Uh, that night in Hanoi, we knew we couldn't go to back to a guest house or to a hotel because uh, you'd have to register with your passport there. So we went to the bus station. It was a rainy evening, and there was a gentleman standing out in front of his little shop under an awning smoking a cigarette, and he lived in the house above. And we communicated with our phrase book and with charades that we needed a place to stay, and he welcomed us into his home that night and let us stay there. And uh, after not much sleep that night, we got up the next morning and gave him some money, and he went and purchased uh, bus tickets for us to go uh, from Hanoi all the way down to Saigon on about a 45-hour bus ride. Uh, there in a terrible bus, <laughs> uh, but we got there, and once we're there, we thought, well, how are we going to get to the border? How are we going to get our visa? It was a Friday, and went to the Cambodian embassy, and uh, God provided just a person of peace there who was able to give us a visa. We got our visa there in Cambodia, and, uh, and then another little motorbike driver. We split up at this time, so we wouldn't be two of us going to the border, but we'd be one going as individuals, and I got there to the border, with Cambodia, and it was a, just right in the evening, right as the border was uh, closing, and I got across the border, and it was getting dark, and there's just nothing around, but I saw one car sitting under a tree, and I found the driver of that car and said, I need you to take me to Phnom Penh, and uh, to get from that border to Phnom Penh, you had to cross a big river, the Mekong River, and he said, we can't go, uh, it's going to be closed, and the roads are dangerous at night. I said, oh, I really need to go. And uh, he said, all right, well, let's try it. And we got in the car, and we started going. And there were, in the dark there, muddy roads, trucks just going off the side of the road. And every once in a while, large groups of guys just waiting for cars to go off the road uh, that they would then push back on for a fee. And, uh, but we, then that little Corolla just went straight uh, down the road, never had any trouble. God just watching over us. And we got to the Mekong River. And sure enough, it was closed. Ferries were closed. Gate was closed. And we jumped out of the car, and he said, follow me. Come around here. I know well, we can get around the fence. And we went around the fence and down to the river, and he started talking to a, a boat driver and his son. And guy had a big flashlight that the boy held on the front, and I got in the boat, and uh, we crossed the river. And uh, again, not knowing what the situation would be, but uh, God provided another driver on the other side to take us to Phnom Penh. And there, met up with Micah. Uh, he was about an hour or two ahead of me. And uh, got there to Phnom Penh and flew back to Thailand, where we were based out of. And uh, Lou also made it back after about three days of interrogation and being held there. Uh, she was sent back out. And, but every step of the way, 
God provided for our every need. When we didn't know what to do, without the language or knowing where to go, God provided that person that we needed or the way to go that we needed every step of the way. Amen. Amen. And meanwhile, in Fort Smith, Arkansas, <laughs> there's a mama and a daddy who didn't know where their boy was for about three days. And we were praying, Lord, get him through. Lord, make a way. God, get him through this. God, get him through this. God, get him through this. And God got him through. God got him through. Listen to me for just a minute. This is the hard part. What if God didn't get him through? What if we had never heard from that boy again? Could I go on preaching? Could I go on preaching Romans 8, 28? Could I still say God is good? Here, here's the deal, folks. When our kids don't come home, when the pain is so great that we wonder, can I go on? Here's the truth. God isn't finished with us yet. This is not the end of our, our story, the funeral home. This is not the end of our story. God will get us through this and he'll use it to make us more like Jesus. Jesus went to a cross. Jesus went to a cross. And we call it Good Friday. Why? What was good about it? Because the most painful, awful day on the face of this earth in all of history was when the sinless Son of God died in our place. And we call it good because He died so we can live. Our story does not end at the funeral home. And so I can say to you, God is working in all things for good to those who love Him. The problem is most of us don't know what good is. We don't know what's good for us. Did you ever have a daddy like mine who would say, Bobby Ford, if you know what's good for you, you better stop what you're doing. <laughs> if you know what's good for you, you better stop what you're doing. My daddy had the technique of being able to spank us in midair <laughs> with one arm raising us up out of our circumstances and with the other arm applying justice and discipline. And sometimes I've noticed my Heavenly Father in the years since has lifted me up out of my circumstances and He's applied discipline to my life. And I didn't think it was good at the time. But I can tell you of a fact. He did it to make me more like His Son, Jesus. And the discipline you face in your life, the difficulties that sometimes you think, what's it all about? He is using that, even as a discipline, to make you more like his son Jesus. It's for good. For good. And we rest in that goodness. In the benevolence of a God who is good all the time. God is good. He's good all the time. But notice the recipients of the promise. You see who gets in on this promise? For those who love him and are called according to his promise. In fact, again, the Greek 
is a little different than any English translation I've seen. Because in the Greek, it says this, And we know, for those loving God, He is working together all things for good to those called according to His purpose. So in the original language, for those who love Him is lifted right to the front of the promise. For those who love Him. It is the most basic way of saying this promise is for believers. This is just not a general word to the world that it's all going to work out. Don't worry. If you don't believe in Jesus, worry. If you do love Him, you're His child. And you don't love Him in thin air. You love Him because He first loved you. While we were yet sinners, God demonstrated His love toward us in that His Son died for us. So He loved us. We began to sense that love and understand something about that love, maybe in a place like this. On a Sunday morning, you became very aware. For me, it was standing alone on a beach in Florida. I was an agnostic, an unbeliever, And somehow from out of nowhere, the great sense of the presence and the wonder of God who create this ocean and standing there with the sun on me, I felt his love and didn't even ask for it. But he loved me despite being a God hater. And so when you experience that love and you know he loves you and you love him, Here's the promise for you as a child of God. Oh, I know sometimes your love runs hot and sometimes it runs cold. But that promise doesn't depend on you. It depends on the love of God which never wavers, never varies. Who loves you enough to tell you this morning, I'm at work, you're going to get through it. I'm at work. I'm going to make you more like Jesus. It's a promise for those who love. My mom used to, we were raised in a cult, Christian science, and we didn't have any Bible knowledge, truth in our home. My mom used to always say, well, you know, all things work together for good. And I would just shake my head, not so far. All things don't just happen to work together for good. But when you're a child of God, When you love him and you know his love, he's at work. He's at work. You see, the promise is for believers. The promise is for those who are called according to his purpose. Have you been called? I mean, was there a time where you were sitting there and the word was preached and the gospel was explained and something tugged at your heart? That's God calling. Maybe even a morning like this when you hear these wonderful things that God can do and You haven't been in on it, but there's something in your heart tugging you that way, and you say, I I want this. I'd love to be in on a promise like this. That's the Holy Spirit tugging away, calling you. He calls us out of darkness and into light. He calls us out of the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of his own dear son. He calls us out of death into life like he did when he stood at the tomb of Lazarus. He said, Lazarus, come forth! And the one who is dead, he rose up and he walked forth. And, and in churches like this all over the world, in places where Christians gather, 
wherever they gather and the word is preached, God's at work and his son is calling, come forth, come forth, follow me. Because without that, you have no purpose. Without the call of God, listen to me, without the call of God, you have no purpose. No direction in life. It's just get up, eat, work, sleep. Get up, eat, work, sleep. Get up. You know how it goes. You remember that boat that I told you about? Can you think back moments ago? (laughs) And remember, we had this old boat. And uh, a friend of my dad's came up one day, and he had two huge paddle wheels that he had made for his kids years before. They used it on a lake up in New York. And he gave us these two big paddles. My dad made an attachment so we could fit them on the side of the rowboat. And it was the strangest device you've ever seen. This old rowboat with two paddle wheels on either side going out into the Atlantic Ocean. Just safe. I sit on one side and pull, and my brother sit on the other side. And as long as we were in unison, the thing went straight ahead. Uh, it was such a sight that one day, a sightseeing boat that was regular there in the harbor in St. Augustine, he just pulled up right alongside. Everybody ran to that side of the sightseeing boat, and they just watched us sitting there, you know, turning our paddles, because we were a sight to see. The only problem with those paddles was that after continuous use in rough water, they would come loose. So my dad did not provide a life jacket, but he did provide a wrench. And so whenever he got really loose and was no longer useful, I'd take the wrench and tighten the thing back up, and we'd go along for another little bit. And one day, it became particularly loose, and I got the wrench out. I leaned over the side to tighten it, and I dropped the wrench into the Atlantic Ocean. And so we were directionless. Unless you consider the fact that if you have only one paddle operational, you can go in a direction. It's called a circle. (laughs) And the harder you paddle with one paddle on one side of a rowboat, the tighter the circle becomes. That's all that happens. And what I have noticed about life apart from Jesus Christ, it's paddling with one paddle and working hard and working and struggling hard, but you're going nowhere. And what this promise says, that God's people are a people who are involved in his purpose. And the purpose is clearly stated in the next verse. Verse 29, you need it before you go. Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You got that? That's why we can say God's going to get me through it and it's going to use it to make me more like Jesus. Because the purpose in Romans 8.28 is declared in Romans 8.29 that he's busy and working to make you and me more like his son. I love the story of a sculptor who had some friends down in his basement. He had a big block of granite. And he says to his friends, Do you see a lion? And his friend said, absolutely not. All I see is a great block of granite. And the artist said, I can't believe you can't see a lion. I look at that block and all I see is a lion. 
And all I have to do is knock away all the parts that aren't a lion. And you'll see him too. And so what the Lord Jesus is about, what God is doing, and what he will do in 2016 in most of our lives is knock some things away that don't look like Jesus. And sometimes it hurts. But in the end, he'll get you home. You won't be going in circles anymore. You belong to him. You love him. He has a purpose for you. And he's taking you home.